Hey guys, welcome back to Sugar Bee Podcast Miami. What's up, what's up? It's your host, Milliliter. Um, coming here on this rainy evening. I don't know, Miami's weather has been especially bipolar lately. Like, for it still being technically winter, we've had a lot of rain. And, like, literally the the forecast this week has just been, like, really out of whack. Like, it's been in the 80s. Apparently, it's going to dip into the 40s at some point by the end of the week. So, I don't even know what's happening anymore. Like, I don't know. It's kind of cray. But here we are. What's new? All of Miami's cray. <laughs> um... I'm really excited because um, for today's episode, I just wanted to kind of, like, talk about a few things. Um, Black History Month is coming to a close. I hope everyone has had a lot of fun um, just exploring, learning, participating in different events throughout the city. Um, I know for one... Um, just like by scrolling on Instagram, I've learned about like a lot of different people, um, that we sometimes kind of gloss over in black history. Um, a very cool one, there are going to be parts of US1, which in some areas it's called South Dixie Highway. They're going to be part, like, signs they are going to be changed to, like, Harriet Tubman Way or whatever. So I'm really excited about that because, as you know, um, Dixie refers to the South. And um, particularly the South, like, during the Civil War. So it's not necessarily super cool to have stuff called, like, South Dixie Highway. I know it's not going to be, like, the entire South Dixie Highway because... I believe that, like, the different municipalities have to then agree, but um, I know that there's, like, other parts that are controlled by the county, I believe it is, that are going to be changed to Harriet Tubman, so that's really awesome. Um, it was interesting, because when my dear friend and I were talking about this the other day, um, you know, like, we were talking about, like, oh, yeah, like, someone had said that... In this news about, you know, Miami um, changing the name to honor, like, of South Dixie Highway to honor Harriet Tubman. Like, this, like, white person had said that that was the first time they had heard about Harriet Tubman. And I was like, what? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know. That's kind of cray to me. Only because I feel like... When it comes to Black History Month, the three people you hear about the most in Black History Month is, like, literally... Or, like, let's say the top two people you really hear about is Harriet Tubman and Martin Luther King. Obviously, like, MLK, for sure. And then, like, Harriet Tubman for, you know, um, being such a big part of the Underground Railroad. Then your, your, your B tier, <laughs> your B lineup... In Black History Month is, you know, like, Frederick Douglass, Malcolm X, um, I'm trying to think, like, who else? Oh, George Washington Carver. A lot, like, I mean, I know George Washington Carver, um, 
you know, was like this genius mind who invented a lot of different things. But man, people, like, particularly in elementary school, people talk a lot about George Washington Carver. Um, who else? So, Frederick Douglass, um, Washington, um, Washington Carver, uh, George Washington Carver. Um, who else? George Washington Carver. Sometimes, like, people will kind of talk a little bit. Oh, Rosa Parks. Wow, I'm really stupid. Never mind. Rosa Parks goes on tier one along with Harriet Tubman, and I'm okay. My bad. Um, <laughs> like I said, um, other people that people put in, like, tier two, yeah, you know, people will kind of talk about, like, Oprah, Obama, as far as, like, modern, like, contemporary history for Black History Month, right? Like, Oprah, Obama. Tier three is, like, really getting into the nitty-gritty of, like, wow, you guys, like, are putting together a Black History program. You'll have people talk about maybe, I want to say W.E.B. Dubois. Um, You'll have people talk about, like, Langston Hughes. Alice Walker, Toni Morrison, Zora Neale Hurston. Like, I guess, like, more of, like, the arts, like, authors and poets. You have more, like, poets. Um, um, and, like I said, other artists. You know, Etta James, Ella Fitzgerald. Like, you know what I mean? So as we evolve into the tiers, we we get more information. Um, let me backtrack. I want to put Madam C J Walker in tier two as well. People like I mean, would um, you know, rightfully so. People talk about Madam C J Walker. She had like such a big influence on um, what it is like to be a black woman and um, an empowered black woman making money for herself, right? And making beauty products that would impact us until today. Um, so it was just kind of crazy to hear like, oh yeah, because of this news, that was the first time someone heard about Harriet Tubman. And I'm like, and there, it was apparently it was an old person. <laughs> like, And I'm like, uh, okay, I don't even know what to say to that. Kids, that's why education is important. Um, but yeah, so that's some good news coming out of Miami. Um, really random. There's going to be a new mini series about Madam CJ Walker on Netflix. So I'm really excited. I think it's supposed to come out this week or it already came out. So I'm really excited about that. Octavia Spencer is playing Madam CJ Walker and I'm like, yes, she, yes. Yes. So I'm really excited about that project. So we should definitely um watch it support so that Netflix can keep um making different projects like these. Um a few other things that are going on tomorrow at the Perez Art Museum. Perez Art Mu what's a second M for? Hold on guys, because now I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> What's the second M that I'm missing? Um, well, I'll look for the second M. 
So the Pam is having like a really cool event happening all day tomorrow, Thursday, February 28th is tomorrow. February 27th. Um oh, Perez Art Museum Miami. Interesting. What an interesting interesting um name. I mean, I guess I kind of Named my podcast like that too. So basically, they're doing this really cool um Caribbean, like having like a Caribbean day, um at the museum. They're gonna be screening some documentaries later into the evening. And this is like the thing that they that the Pam does, which is like a free um community night. And so that's really cool. I'm going to get you guys the exact name right now. Because I feel really silly. But yeah. So the museum is going to stay open late tomorrow. And they're going to do their thing. Really cool. So go check it out. Because like I said. The more that we support these kinds of events. The more events that they continue to do. So that would be really cool. Um, a few other things that are happening. Remember that I had mentioned last week about the Miami, um, film festival. So, and I totally want to, um, kind of like repeat that again, because I think it's such a cool project and I can't wait to go see this new film, um, When Liberty Burns by Dudley Alexis. And what's really interesting, what's cool about that film, just to kind of expand on it a little bit, is that this film is about the McDuffie riots in here in Miami in the 80s. So for those of you guys who don't know, Arthur McDuffie was um, was pulled over by the police, I believe in the Liberty City area. He was a, you know, African-American man. Pulled over by white police and he was beaten so bad um, by the police that he died. And then, um, so when, when he died, there was discord in the community. But I believe, if I'm, if I'm telling the story correctly, I believe um, the riots happened when the cops were not indicted or not found guilty. And so many people in the Liberty City area um, ended up rioting. And um, it was one of the largest race riots, I guess you could say, here in the country. Um, Unfortunately, this country has had like a history of race riots. When there are injustices like this, kind of like how we saw with Ferguson. Um, With Ferguson, the Watts riot, you know. And like a lot of those communities, what ended up happening to that area was that there was never any money to rebuild, right? So it was kind of like the local government punished that area for letting those riots break out. And so a lot of businesses suffered and then basically those businesses stayed run down from the 80s and so according to different 
discussions I've gone to about that, they say that like the McDuffie riots was like a big contribution to why the Liberty City area in Miami is so impoverished today, which makes sense because if you really think about it, the 80s was only like 30 years ago. Not even 30 years ago. It's, a, it's about to be 40 years ago because I was born in the 90s and I am not 30 yet. So, so it, it, it's a very um, crucial story to tell of here in Miami. And I'm um, looking forward to seeing this because I think with Miami, what ends up happening is that um, if you're from outside of Miami, you know, like it, it's easy to overlook the rest of Miami and just think, okay, it's like all about the glamour, um, the glamour, the beach, you know what I mean, the partying. I think if you're in Miami, like, grew up in Miami, then, yeah, you see, like, the other side, but I think we also tend to get caught up in, like, the music video version of Miami. Um, and there's so much history here that um, I don't really think is really that well preserved or documented, and so... And I think particularly the black history here in Miami, I know, is not taught, like, for sure. Because anything I've learned um, having to do with, like, black history here in Miami has been way after I was ever in any school, like, college included. So I think it's um, things like this is very important um, because it's part of, like, our history that we need to pass down because... People need to know why things are the way they are. Like, history is important to know why things are the way, or like they are the way they are. And, like, it helps us kind of navigate the future as well. And so... And so I th- I'm really looking forward to, the, like, you know, when Liberty burns. And also, I think another thing about Miami is that um, as far as, like, history goes... Is that when it comes to Miami in the 80s, I think, of course, a lot of people in the nation are like, cocaine, (laughs) cocaine, Scarface. And then, you know, us Miamians, we're like, yeah, cocaine cowboys. Um, Side note, if you haven't seen cocaine cowboys, you, you guys need to watch it. Like, if you are a Miamian and you have not watched Cocaine Cowboys, you lacking. You you need to up your Miami citizenship and watch the documentary because it's fascinating. It gives a really in-depth look into Miami's history. Um... And to Miami's history, as far as, like, the 80s go with, like, the cocaine um, trade, if you will. Um, and they talk to a good variety of sources, people who were involved in the drug game, um, people, you know, who were serving on the, the police force during that time. Um, and so it's it's a very, very good comprehensive documentary about um, Miami's very weird 80s life. Um, and it's like if you want 
if you haven't seen Cocaine Cowboys, think Scarface, but real life, okay? Um, and also, if you haven't seen Cocaine Cowboys 2, I also highly recommend that documentary because that is complete. Like, if you go into Cocaine Cowboys 2 thinking that it's going to be like the first one, it is not. It's completely different. Um, I watched it once and it's it follows more like Griselda Blanco, you know, um, the godmother quote and her time in jail after the fact. Because, you know, eventually after, you know, like uh, all of the killings that were happening here in Miami, eventually she did get caught. She went to jail. So it kind of follows her time in jail. And it also follows her lover, who was her lover in jail, out in like, I, I, I don't want to, like, I want to say like Oakland, California. I don't know. It's some weird twisted story. You guys need to watch it. It's super interesting. So anyways, um, so yeah, so when Liberty Burns... Um, like I said, it's a it's, it's it's a part of our Black history here in Miami. Um, I'm always kind of like trying to learn more. Um, so yeah, look, be on the lookout for that for like the Miami Film Festival. Um, following the cinematic theme, right? This weekend, I had the pleasure of going and watching and like watching the um, Dwayne Wade documentary, D Wade Life Unexpected. Wow, what an experience! I think you got like you, us here in Miami know that um, it was a really cool weekend because what basically they did like a whole legacy um, weekend celebrating um Dwayne Wade and his legacy with the Miami Heat and so basically on the first day I like I want to describe it as a pep rally that's the best way I can describe what it the event was on Friday basically with the pep rally celebrating D Wade um he performed his song with Rick Ross and I was like wait he's like what on so that was last Friday. Then on Saturday they were playing. I I want to say against Cleveland, the Miami Heat were playing against Cleveland, and in the halftime they retired Dwayne Wade's jersey. And then on Sunday, the American Airlines Arena they hosted an event. Um. So basically, his documentary premiered on ESPN that night, like that evening. And then the AAA did an event where um, basically they were screening the documentary there at the arena and it was only $3. So I saw that and I was like, I don't have ESPN, nor will I buy ESPN. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be a hassle to try to find this documentary on my own later. So I'm just going to go to the arena. And, you know, I like doing stuff. I hadn't been downtown during the daytime in a while. I was like, yeah, let me go see what's up. So it was really cool because um, I didn't know until I got there, but um, the money that was, like, the profit that was made off of the tickets were actually benefit- benefiting Dwayne Wade's um, foundation. So I thought that was really cool. I was like, okay, cool. Got to see the documentary. Got to, um, you know, do something charitable. So that's awesome. Um. 
So, yeah, so I went, I, you know, we were in the arena. I didn't know Dwayne Wade was going to be there. So that was super exciting. Him and the director, Brian Grazer, um, they did like kind of like a little Q&A in the beginning. Uh, so that was really, they kind of like discussed um, how challenging it was, you know, to be that vulnerable um and like in this documentary and really show like different things of his life and and just kind of keep it keeping it real um and so Dwayne Wade also spoke a lot about using his platform to encourage people to you know to inspire people and to help somebody and and so I thought that was really cool. Like, I don't know, it's just, like, really cool black filmmaker, you know, making a really cool documentary about this very accomplished athlete. So I thought that was awesome. And, of course, you know, being from Miami, Wade County, okay, I it was just really cool to, to be there at that event and, you know, see Dwayne Wade, um, you know, like, watch this discussion and then have them screen the film. The film, I highly recommend it if you guys missed it. Um, like it's, it's like I said, it's called D-Wade Life Unexpected. And it is so amazing. As you guys know, I use my, um, my own personal reviewing system. So at the end of this um, review, I will go ahead and share what my, my rating is. But... Um, Actually, I'll share it now. <laughs> so basically, I'm going to go ahead and give it five stars. I know. <laughs> five stars from the, you know, conventional star rating. And four tears because I cried four times in this documentary. So, I mean, I guess I could tell you guys why I cried. Because the reasons that I cried are not anything secret in Dwayne Wade's life. So it was really cool because, like, going to that event, because one, you saw everybody in Dwayne Wade jerseys and Dwayne Wade shirts. And I, um, particularly with the jerseys, I loved seeing the Wade jerseys because everyone had, like, you know, all the different colors, all the different styles. And it's just, you know, Dwayne Wade. It's kind of like Dwayne Wade, like a visual representation of D. Wade's um, career. You know what I mean? Like all the different heat jerseys. I personally went with, you know, the black and red from um, basically like the diesel time. Diesel, well... Yeah, that black and red, they used it when Shaq was here and also with the big three. So, you know, and so I, I love my jersey. I bought my jersey during the championship in 20... What year was it? I don't even remember. <laughs> whatever first, whatever second championship, you know, that was it that we won, that's when I had my... um my my d-wade jerseys and i still have it and i love it so um it was really cool to see everybody with like the vice um you know with like the vice jerseys with the white hot jerseys with the El heat jerseys like all of that so that was really cool but um it's funny because so in the documentary you know they go through his childhood the whole thing and it's like 
he, you know, I didn't realize like how much he had gone through in his childhood, but how he was, how he was able to use his talent, you know, to like help his family, right? The first time I cried is when he, when they were talking about how, okay, like he got flown out to the draft and they were waiting to hear, you know, who he was going to get drafted by. And then, um, you know, they're like, okay, you know, whatever, Miami Heat. And the crowd in the arena went wild. And I think I was just like more emotional because of that, like, Everybody just started cheering and like clapping, and it was like everybody went crazy when they said like D Wade Miami Heat or like Dwayne Wade Miami Heat because I like it was just like that like emotion I guess of watching it again and just like seeing it and you're excited because like we love D Wade, so that was really cool. And then I guess like the people in the arena caught on because every time they would do something. Um, or show something in the documentary that was, like, very public, you know, like, a public part of D-Wade's life, everybody would cheer, like, you know what I mean, like, um, at other, some other point, you know, they, they showed Pat Riley again, and people were cheering, like, stuff like that. Um, another moment that kind of made me emotional, too, um... Oh, yeah, like, when they show, like, that, you know, Shaq got traded to the Heat, everybody started cheering. And so, like, the people in the arena, they caught on to that. And so then they started, you know, like, flashing lights and stuff. Um, when, like, like when they anticipated parts in the documentary where people would cheer. Um, and when, of course, when, like, they won the, the 06 championship, everybody went crazy, too. Because everybody was like, oh, my God, like, our first championship for a young team. How amazing. Um, and then, like, so it was just, like, really emotional. Another part, of course, in the documentary. And I'm not going to, like, spoil things that they say. Because, like I said, these are things that we are public knowledge. But um, I will say the part where you start seeing the pieces move for the big three, that was cool. Like, it was just kind of overwhelming to remember that time. Like, what an exciting time for the city. Like, I remember being young and being like, wait, what? We got LeBron? Like, Dwayne Wade's coming back. We got Bosch. And he cut his hair. Thank God. Like, it was just, like, really cool. Um, it Like, it, it was just really fun to be in that environment with other dedicated Heat fans, right? Um, and then, of course, when we won the second championship and when we won the third championship, like, that excitement. Um... And and I just remember so many different. It just it just reminded me of so many different things. I remember when um that one particular Eastern Conference um that we had won. I believe it was like the first one we had won in a long time. Um, obviously I'm hard. I have horrible memory because I'm like relating this very vaguely. But I remember I was downtown, right? So that must have been like 2012 or so. No. 2010, 2010, I believe it was. So 2010, I was downtown, like, with a friend. 
and and I was just like, I, I gotta, we get, or I was in the Grove first. I was at first in the Grove. And it was like, where are we going to go to watch the Eastern Conference Finals? And then we were like, okay, no, not really the Grove. Let's go downtown. I remember I had like my heat shirt and everything. And so we went downtown and they were doing an event downtown. They were doing some like real crazy event, like the heat where... Because I believe that was an away game. And at that time, that's when... Or, you know what they did do? They still do them. The Bacardi Heat Rallies. You know, they go to different places. And, like, sometimes bring out performers and give away stuff like stuff like that. And so, we went downtown. Um, I distinctly remember Ludacris performing. I don't know. And then I was like, wow, he's short. <laughs> And then um, that's when they were also broadcasting the games on the like actual arena screen. So that was really cool. But then it was like really crowded. So we, me and my friend were like, okay, well, let's go to Bayside. So we, I remember we went to that one daiquiri bar at Bayside almost by Lombardi's, right? Um, for those of you familiar with Bayside, but not familiar with Lombardi's, get familiar with Lombardi's, but yeah, like over there by the Hard Rock. So I remember we were at that end of Bayside. And then we, like, I think the Heat were like losing or about to lose, like the game was not going great. And in the very last few minutes of the game, we were just kind of like, man, let's let's get a head start to the car, kind of, because we're like, oh, man, there's so many people downtown. This is going to be crazy traffic. And then we heard a bunch of cheering, and then apparently something had happened where, like, the game was coming back. I remember we ran all the way back to that bar at the end of Bayside. The Heat won. They won the Eastern Conference Finals. And this, like, downtown went crazy, like, we had just won the, like, like, you know I mean, the actual championship, like, the finals, and everyone started running around, I remember we just, like, ran into the street, like, into, like, we were, like, hundreds of people just running through traffic, we were running around hugging people, like, everybody was super excited, everybody was hugging, everybody was crying, like, it was just super nutty. I remember, like, getting in the car and, like, people were hanging out the cars. We were playing Pitbull on blast. It was amazing. Like, it was just, like, that electric energy. And then, of course, when we, the two times after that that we actually won the finals, like, the same type of energy, like, going downtown, um you know, like, being there, running to the, to the front of the arena, like, and just partying the night away in celebration, and so, really cool things for a city to get to do, and then, of course, going to the parades, and just being out there in the sun, but, like, being super excited to see everybody, like, waving by, so, those things, I was, like, I don't know, the memories, I guess, I hadn't thought about in a while, and I was like, oh, yeah, those were great times. Like, as a city, like, what a beautiful time that was. Um, then the last part that I cried in was, because I'm a big baby, well, the last part I cried in, of course, then you get to, to the part of D. Wade's career where it's like he decides to leave the heat. 
I'm not going to comment too much on it because you guys need to watch it. It's super interesting, the perspective that was given um, in the documentary. But then when they show, okay, that he makes the decision to come back to Miami, it was so freaking beautiful. It made me cry. <laughs> like, I there's a part where they show, like, him touching down in Miami, and he looks so freaking happy to be back. And he kind of, and he says, he's like, I'm, I, you know, I felt like I was home. And I'm like, oh my God, because we all know we love D-Wade. We, and D-Wade loves Miami. Like, it's like, a, it was a beautiful thing. Um, Apparently it was said about like the celebration that we did that like, that no one had in like the NBA, supposedly, I don't know, right? Because whatever. But supposedly no one um, in the NBA, like no athlete, when they retired their jersey, had received such a lengthy celebration. Like that it was kind of like, okay, yeah, you you know, you do like a little ceremony to retire the jersey and that was it. Miami threw a three-day party. Like, okay, we're going to do it big as we do. So that was um, a super cool event to go to. Like I said, it was beautiful. I think being there in that atmosphere and like there you're there in the arena, like you know, you see the jersey. Um, you're surrounded by like fellow like Heat fans. It was just like a really cool experience. So I highly recommend it. Um another thing that I saw and I think it, another, like, outpouring of love was Kobe Bryant's memorial. Um, Man, it was tough to watch. I mean, like, no funeral, no memorial is easy. But it was just incredible to see the amount of love that people have for Kobe. And, and to see how people, you know, I think, I don't know, at least for me, right? Like, I didn't know that much about, like, Kobe's personal life. But to see and hear stories about how dedicated of a father he was um, was just kind of, like, beautiful. Um, Of course, like, Shaq, oh, my God, I don't know, something about Shaq just makes me want to cry. Of course, when Vanessa Bryant spoke, that was just, like, gut-wrenching. And then... The other person that made me, like, emotional was Michael Jordan. And, (laughs) like, Michael Jordan was just, like, he, like, I mean, every time that they would cut to Michael Jordan in the audience, he was crying. Like, I don't think he stopped crying. And then when he got on stage to to speak, um, it was, like, he was just streaming tears, like, big globs of tears the entire speech. And then, you know, he had, like, a little bit of, like, that comic relief where he's like, oh, no, I can't, y'all, he's like, I said I wasn't going to do this because I can't see another meme or whatever it was he said. Now I'm like, I love that he was trying to get out in front of his own meme. Like, please don't meme me again. (laughs) So that was kind of funny. But it was just, like, really incredible. I think the story also that um, came from his, like, best friend, you know, former agent was just beautiful about how there was a time where he was away from his wife and he really missed her. And there was a piano in the suite 
and he talked about how his wife liked Moonlight Moonlight Sonata, like the song. Um, Beethoven, I want to say. I don't know. And so he, like, se proponió that he was gonna learn how to play Moonlight Sonata by ear. And so he practiced, you know, every day, every day, every day. And then eventually he learned how to play, like, you know, a little part of Moonlight Sonata. And so on that point, they brought out Alicia Keys, who I totally forget plays the piano for real. Like legit plays piano, right? So they bring out Alicia Keys and she plays Moonlight Sonata accompanied with like violins. And wow, that is what made me like well up in tears because... Moonlight. Well, one, Alicia Cleese plays with such beautiful emotion. And I forget that because I haven't seen her. I don't think I've seen her play piano in a minute. Like, play piano without singing, right? Um, And just, you know, Moonlight Sonata anyways is a very somber song. And so it was just very... It, it was impacting, to watch for sure so it it was I mean it to me it was a beautiful memorial you know once again RIP to to you know to Kobe to Gigi and to all the other victims of of this like horrible tragedy but it was a beautiful representation I think of love that you can have for someone not only the people you know, and his family, the people who worked with him, his colleagues, his rivals, you know, his peers in the um, athletic industry, but also his fans, right? Um, another thing I didn't know, because obviously I live under a rock, is that I didn't know that Kobe had won an Oscar for, for Dear, wait, what is it? Dear Basketball? And, you know, it's a short film. And they played that in the memorial. And, oh, my God, I cried in that as well. Um, It's just, like, this beautiful love letter to basketball. And it's animated. And the animation is really beautiful. And, like, just, like, it just is such a beautiful um, visual representation of, like, him growing up, him getting into basketball. And then him basically, you know, leaving basketball behind and... I didn't know, one, that Dear Basketball existed, TBH. And two, I didn't know I had won an Oscar. And so um, that was a, a really cool thing to learn about him as well. And I, if you guys have not seen Dear Basketball, I highly recommend it um, to you guys as well. Um, oh, that reminds me of a different time I cried in the, mo- in the, in the documentary. There is a... It, there's a, and I don't want to spoil it for you guys who are going to watch it. There's a part where Dwayne Wayne speaks on issues that are important to him. And that made me cry because it was just, like I said, the visual representation, it's like there and it kind of like, I don't want to say triggered, it dredged up old memories for sure of, like, different things, and it was really powerful 
and very um well done in the films i highly recommend it but yeah so like watching your basketball was really so that was cool i like that they did that um hearing kobe's voice in the memorial gave me chills you know they played um i believe i don't know if it was the speech from from when they retired his jersey or if it was the speech from his last game but you know the one where he says mamba out and like i know it's a mediocre like i just it it really filled me with emotion so i know it's kind of like a sad thing it's kind of not morbid sad and and kind of a downer but if you guys haven't watched it watched it it's beautiful you know we, it, and for me at least it's a reminder that we don't have to wait for people to pass away to show them how much we love them and appreciate them and how and we don't have to wait for people to pass away to remember that we need to live our lives <laughs> Uh, and enjoy them and enjoy the people around us, you know. Because you never know when it's your time type of thing. Um, so, yeah, like a lot of different things went on this week. But it was a very um, fruitful, a very filling week. Um Another thing I did this week, which was really cool, was I got to go to a really cool um, Black History Month presentation put on by the University of Miami. Um, I have a friend who works out there. Um, she's super cool, and she's she has access to a lot of um, different events that and programs that happen at the university. And it was really cool because this particular... Um, program was something presented by the faculty because of course the music students they do their programs but every so often the faculty also present so this um this program was um put on by a singer right a classically trained singer who classically trains students so that was really cool um you know and her name is Jeanette Thompson a woman of color, beautiful. Other people that also that accompanied her in the recital, um, you know, there were other people who were also people of color, represented, and it was really cool because she started off doing some leader, you know, singing some leader, which is basically German art songs. If I remember correctly, German art songs is kind of like saying. Like, they're opera songs. They're not necessarily writ- written into a full-scale opera. I believe is what it is. So music that is sung classically, but is not written as a part of, a, as, as the part of an entire opera. So like an aria that's not in an opera. So she did some German leader. Um, then the flautist, Valerie Coleman, who I've seen, have had the pleasure to see in a different... Um, program before she came out and um she performed a piece that she actually wrote um that she composed um inspired by this one poem and so it's funny because when i saw the song on the program i was like i recognize the name of that song because she had performed it at a different event i had gone to 
And then when she played it and I was like reading it, I was like, oh my God, yes, this song. So basically, um, the song that she composed is called Wish Sonatine. And it's um, based on the poem by Fred Daguerre from the, the Rose of Toulouse. Right. And so I just want to read this for you guys really quick. Because I don't know if this, um, the sonatine is online or anything, but if you ever get to see this lady perform, I suggest you go do it because she is amazing. Like, I had never been so interested in watching someone play the flute, and I used to play the flute. <laughs> so, it, like, that's how awesome she is. And she has composed some really cool pieces that are out of the box with the flute and, like, with, you know, percussion. It's, like, really cool. So, here we go. Wish, um, not Wish Sonatine. Yeah. Wish Sonatine, poem by Fred Geer. I wish those tall ships at Africa's shore had dropped anchor to plant crops there. Sugarcane, tobacco, cotton, and coffee. Instead, they filled the hungry bellies of holes with Africans and set sail wanting nothing from that big place. That wasn't diamond, gold, ivory, flesh. I wind the clocks back and turn the ships around. Not a single bullet whipper cutlass. Sound to deafen our ears for centuries. No Atlantic road of bones from people dumped into the sea to form a wake. And I just thought that that was, wow. It was very powerful. And basically, um, the Sunatine, what, what, the flautist relayed was that she wrote it thinking of the experience of a mother being separated from her child on a slave ship and so it was it it was so powerful and this program altogether was really cool because um the performers gave some really great insight into the music that they were performing um i learned a lot you know like um because then the program after the sonatine continues on with different spirituals like she did spirit uh, you know like um negro spirituals but as well as like some jewish spirituals like hebrew spirituals so that was really cool and the way that she related it is that um, she has always found that throughout history, the Jews really sympathized with African-Americans and their experience and the plight because the Jewish people were enslaved for 500, 700 years in Egypt. And so the Jewish people have always had like this really interesting, like, um, this really interesting relationship with the African-American community. So I, like, I had never thought of that before, you know what I mean? And so I thought that was, like, a really cool thing that she intertwined the Hebrew, the Jewish um, spirituals with the Negro spirituals. Um, the whole time during this program, me and my friend were just, like, mind-blown, mind-blown, because it was 
so informational and and one thing that she mentioned is that you know a lot of people um they tend to perform and they don't explain but she really liked that they kind of like you know gave some explanations to the different like some insight into the different pieces that they chose for the program another thing that she talked about that I had never I also had never thought about and I look forward to learning more about is um the development of the speed of the negro spiritual um and the importance of the fact that we're able to perform it today because I guess I had always taken them for granted because you know I always heard them in church growing up and so I was just like yeah those are negro spirituals from the times of the slaves okay yeah the slaves used to sing cool but um so one thing that we know is that the when when people were enslaving people throughout Africa they separated the tribes right um you know while getting onto the ship and this was to ensure that they like people could not communicate with each other and i'm like that's it makes me emotional cuz it's like so particularly cruel right they wanted to make sure that the slaves could not communicate with each other and um, basically form rebellions. And so, um, you know, so they separate the tribes and then the slaves were not allowed to, like, talk to each other um, because of the same thing. They, they were worried that people would rebel, would get together and rebel. So what they would do is that um, they would sing and then they would just put words together and that's how they would communicate to each other because the the slave owners would sometimes allow them to sing. And so they would um, use it, they would use singing as like a way to communicate internally and also to communicate with other plantations because apparently a lot of the plantations were really close together and so sometimes like um you know the different slaves from the different plantations would sometimes in passing be able to communicate with other slaves so it that to me like was like kind of like whoa I never thought about that aspect of slavery um and it you know they would use um singing as a way to cope as a way um like you know as a way to like offer um encouragement as a way to just express their sadness or whatever they were feeling and also as a way to form rebellions as a way to to plan you know to run away and things like that and so I thought that was like really interesting um another thing that um they mentioned was that um the question that she that like you know Jeanette Thompson posed was like how did how did Negro spirituals reach the stage and I was like good point how did they reach the stage so you know with this question of how did negro spirituals reach reach the stage like that really like kind of blew my mind because i was like i never th- 
thought of that because we are not taught that in black in 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 our black history like you know what i mean like n- no not many people have taught that so i was like wow i had never considered that and so she started talking about how basically um you know during the war there was a group of black people that got together formed a university uh you know an hbcu historically black college university yeah (laughs) historically black college um and basically what they would do was that they would get former slaves and teach them for free the teachers would they would somehow get teachers to come and teach for free but that was not sustainable which i was like first of all like wait we cannot just gloss the fact that they were teaching ex-slaves because that's amazing that is god's work okay so they were teaching, um, um, you know, ex-slaves, you know, how to read, how to write, do the whole thing. And then they needed money. So they decided to put together a music group with the ex-slaves and, you know, start performing and trying to, like, recaudar fondos, trying to pick up funds that way. So one day the musical director heard one of the ex-slaves singing and was like, what is it that you're singing? Oh, no, these are just work songs. So songs that they used to sing when they would work. And he was like, no, like, what is this music? So then apparently they went to some type of conference. And in this conference, they basically started singing all together. Like, it's like, a, like, it's like doing a big sing-along. And he was like, wait a minute, this music is so much bigger than what I thought it was. So basically, this guy made it a point to get his music group to start relaying the music, the work songs that they knew, and that's how they started performing Negro spirituals. And they used all those performances to get money to fund this university, which I thought was amazing. I was like, what? This is crazy. Um, another story that she told was that um, um, there was someone, I don't know if they were an ex-slave or a descendant of a slave, but basically the same thing, that they were singing different mu- like different songs and there was a person who was like, hey, what is it that you're singing? And they're like, no, these are work songs. Like These are songs that like my ancestors knew. And they were like, okay, well, do you have any of this music written down? And he was like, no. And they were like, well, write it down. You need to write down the letters. And I believe this person was like a music student. And I guess the other person was like, no, why? Like, why would it be up to me to to write these songs down and like document these songs? And the guy was pretty much like, if not you, then who? And I was like, oh, my God, that's beautiful. And so he encouraged, you know, um, this person to write down the Negro spirituals that he knew. And then because he was a, a music student, like a composition student, he made like, you know, like kind of cleaned it up, made the arrangements. And that's what made it into performable songs. And I was like, oh, my God, that's beautiful. Like stories of how the, our, the music came to be, because we know that a lot of music comes from like comes back like with roots from Negro spirituals. You know what I mean? Gospel music, my people, gospel music. And so. 
it was just kind of like overwhelming for me because it was like a lot of information to process but it was like beautiful information to for me to learn like I was so happy to be there and to like process all this information and learn so much about you know like our history um and about and that also to me was like an important like a a a good story for showing the importance of like documenting it's like if not you then who like someone needs to pass the information down someone needs to document someone needs to write the story someone needs to 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 tell the people so that it could live on and people can learn for generations to come and so I thought that was really beautiful um, one thing I want to share f- with you guys, I want to share with you guys the translation of one of the songs that I believe, I believe this one was in Hebrew. I'm not completely sure, but I'm pretty sure it was in Hebrew. But, it, um, so she, so the lady, what she did was like a beautiful medley of, like I said, the Negro spirituals, she would intertwine like in the same medley, like almost the same breath, the Hebrew, and then go back into English. And so it's like really cool. So this song is called Lador Vador from generation to generation. And like I said, this is a translation I'm reading. Your miracles give us reason to live. Same as our ancestors' days, we keep on giving praise. With your grace, we've made it this far. We're so proud of who we are. Grateful for all who've come before, the circle of life goes on. The tree of my family is such a part of me, the reason that I'm here today. Bearing fruits of prosperity, everything's clear to me. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. We have survived through the test of time. Our passion will never die. To be all we can be, setting generations free from now till eternity. Oh my God, I just got super emotional just reading it. Oh my god, beautiful. So yeah, it, like I said, emotional night. <laughs> beautiful night full of so much information. And so it's just really like it I don't know, to me it makes me like impassioned and like so proud. You know, and like I said, it kinda reminds you that um not everyone's plight in the same not everyone's plight's the same. But we can empathize with each other um, as to, you know, like our ancestors' histories and all of that. So that was a really cool experience. Um, The last story that was related to us and that was really, like, of all the cool stories. um, So there was a church, like a famous church, and I don't even know, I don't remember what city. It might have been New York. You know what? It was New York. Yes. So there's a famous church. They were looking for, I think, a worship leader or something of that sort. And um, so the organist wanted to recommend, you know, a man who was a man of color. But he was really worried because at that time, I forgot what year it was, you know, super controversial. Like this was like way back in the day. Right. It was very controversial. Um, And so he went and spoke to like the chairperson some a leader in the church right about these auditions and whatever 
the guy was like, hey, I want to recommend something to you, but, you know, he's a black man, and I don't really know if you guys will accept him. And then he was like, well, is he the best man for the job? And the organist was like, well, yeah. He's like, okay, so, yeah, obvious, like, opio, bring him in, have him audition. If he's the best guy, we will pick him, despite, you know, his color. And then he was like, but what about the people? Like, there will be a lot of people who will leave. And he was like... And then the chairperson was kind of like, well, let them leave. Let them leave. And for every person who leaves, I will pay, you know, like their tithe to the church. And so we find out at the end of the story, the chairperson was J.P. Morgan. Yes, J.P. Morgan. The very very same J.P. Morgan of Chase. Yes, girls. Okay. <coughs> wow, I got too excited. <laughs> so that was like, whoa, like what a crazy story of someone who was like, I don't care what their race is. Like if they are a good person, if they are a talented person, then they deserve to be here. So I thought that was really effing cool. <laughs> so like I said, a beautiful evening an amazing evening um and it was just like to me like such a cool and different way like i said to celebrate black history month um and you know black history doesn't just end with the month and it doesn't end in our black history does not begin with slavery our black history doesn't end with the civil rights like we have living legends among among us right now I mean, we've had legends who have recently passed away, like Toni Morrison. Um, not so, not so close, but like also um, Maya Angelou, Della Reese, um, living legends right now, like um, Cicely Tyson. I mean, Tyler Perry, for better or for worse. Honestly, Tyler Perry has done a lot. Okay, um, hate him or love him, he's done a lot. <laughs> Um, Oprah, of course, the Obamas, Michelle Obama, okay? (laughs) Um, I mean, we have so many living figures. This week, I mean, someone who just um, recently passed away um, was Katherine Johnson. She was the person that they based um, the movie Hidden Figures on, um, that she did the calculations for, like, the first people to go to the moon or go into space or whatever it was. Like, she just literally passed away at 101 and you're like whoa this lady was this old and it shows you that like that all that crazy history from before wasn't too long ago and so it's like like I said we don't have to wait for people to die to celebrate them um we have living legends now and it's our responsibility to document to encourage people to lift people up to edify our community Okay, um, another interesting series I have in my queue that's on Netflix is that Malcolm X series. It's like the assassination of Malcolm X. Um, so I'm looking forward to reading or, or to watching that. And it's basically um, the same team of people that exonerated the Central Park Five. They're basically like kind of reopening um, the files and re-looking into the assassination of Malcolm X. And so I think that's going to be so super cool 
And because I have the assassination of Malcolm X in my queue, I also actually have the Malcolm X movie in my queue because I've never seen it. Yes, I know. It's shameful. <laughs> but the Malcolm X movie featuring Denzel Washington, I have not seen yet. So I'm really excited to see that. I've seen clips here and there. No man, no one man can have all that power, okay? Um, I've seen clips here and there, but I can't wait to see the entire movie. Um, and continuing on my Malcolm X kick, if you guys have not read the autobiography of Malcolm X as written by Alex Haley, I highly recommend you do it. Um... For so many different reasons, you know, I think everyone has, like, their different reasons why you get into a book, right? Uh, Me, personally, I think I had avoided reading the autobiography of Malcolm X um, for so long because I think I kind of didn't want to know too much about his, what his thoughts were on the civil rights movement. Why? I think um, traditionally we're taught... That it's like, okay, one side of the civil rights movement was Ma- was like Martin Luther King, you know, um, pacifism, um, you know, nonviolence, um, civil disobedience type of thing. Then we're taught that the other side was Malcolm X. And like Malcolm X was this extremist. He hated white people and all of this stuff. And that's, I feel like that's the way it's taught. So, I and, you know, when you have that drilled into your head every single Black History Month, it's kind of like, well, I know what I need to know about Malcolm X, because they always talk about Malcolm X, but they don't really talk about his real principles. Um, and so I kind of took a long time to get around to Malcolm X. And I think through my awakening, right? I don't, I, I don't know. Am I woke? I don't know. But I would like to say, in my awakening process, that had to do a lot with learning about the race riots, bringing it back to the race riots, right? When I was younger, I used to, because we we definitely put a lot of stake on MLK and his part in the civil rights movement growing up. I was kind of like, well, why are people violent? No, be like MLK, you know, be like, you know, Dr. King, civil disobedience. And it was kind of like really shunning Malcolm X and what he had to say and, and people who were other people who were considered extremists like Angela Davis, Stokely Carmichael, Huey P. Newton, you know. And as I got older... And started seeing stuff in a different way. I began to understand that there is like such an undercurrent of anger. That and it's and, and it's righteous anger though because it's anger out of injustice. It's not just um, what the like media portrays like looting and all of that. It's like this righteous anger about you know the people like the police unjustly killing people, killing black men and women for no reason when they take, like, white people into custody with no problems. Um, you know, particularly, I think, like, 
that like this issue really like the whole thing of racial injustice and profiling like really hit a vein in modern times with like the Trayvon Martin thing that was kind of like I think the first case in a long time that had reached such a level of publicity and had highlighted such a level of racism and injustice in this country and gun violence and that really hit a vein and then you know after Trayvon you know Mike Brown I mean I can go on and on like but in that time for me that was a crucial time for me to really because I could not I was so angry and I and I think at that time that's when it hit me like no these people who, who are willfully ignorant don't understand words anymore sometimes like the feelings get past your words it i mean is it the best way definitely not but some i don't know whatever so i'm gonna leave it at that is it the best way no is it the worst way no everyone has to live out their experience the way they gotta live it i'm gonna leave it very vague in general Y'all take it how you want. But that was kind of like me this like me understanding these emotions led me to read Malcolm X because I was like, okay, so maybe I wasn't like maybe I was wrong for judging people for reacting the way that they reacted back then, particularly in situations of race riots. And I started reading Malcolm X, and it is such a beautiful story of redemption. And I don't think that that's talked about enough with Malcolm X. The Malcolm X that they focus on is like the Malcolm X full of anger and full of hate. And, but the Malcolm X that you get to know in the in the book in his autobiography is the Malcolm X of redemption, and of learning because towards the end of his life he was starting to think differently about things he was saying and he was starting to look at things differently and ultimately that's why he ended up getting assassinated was because he kind of started to change his tune and especially like when he starts um traveling outside of the U.S. and he talks about his travels and like the people that he encountered and how that made him look at the U.S. differently and how going to Africa, going to Mecca, like, changed his worldview and changed, like, you know, and, and you start seeing in his own words as the time goes on, like, the paradigm shift. It is so freaking, it is an amazing experience to kind of, like, grow with him, which is why I love autobiographies. And so... It it really changed my mind on Malcolm X, is all I'm going to say. And you start seeing that sometimes it's not one or the other. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes you need a little bit. There are days you need a little bit of Malcolm and you need to tell people how it is. and there, Or not even how it is, but you need to be direct and clear and 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 if it and if your direction and your truth inconveniences the next person, oh well. It is what it is. But sometimes you need, like, that pacifism, you know, from Dr. King. And so, and I think that's, like, the whole thing also with history 
is that you start to learn it, it doesn't always have to be one or the other. You don't have to pit these two huge figures who both had really good points against each other, you know. And, and, and it's interesting also when he talks about his kind of like relationship with Dr. King in the book because he was kind of like, uh, like it, they were kind of at odds because they had completely different approaches, but they respected each other. Um, and so it was just really, it is really cool to read the book. So if you haven't read the book, I challenge you this year, read the book. It's really cool. It's great. And it, and it changed for me, it was a paradigm shift. It kind of helped complete that paradigm shift a little bit. And it also, I think in that time helped calm me down. Like it helped kind of soothe me a little bit for, um, what I was going through at that time. So I highly recommend it. Um, five stars out of five. How many tears? I don't remember how many times I cried in that book because it was a lot. Because it was kind of, like I said, it was like overwhelming. But it's like a really cool book. And like I said, uh, it was a cool book to like learn and grow with like Malcolm X throughout his journey. So that was like really cool. Um... I want to thank you guys for joining me today. I know I kind of like just covered a lot of different things, but yo guys, I've had a lot on my mind. And so, like I said, Black History Month does not have to end with the month. It is black. It's a black history lifetime. We are history. We're making history. We are history makers right now. And so you know, I challenge you guys to get out there, learn our history, make history happen, be the best that you can be, not only for yourself, but for your family, for your friends, for your country. Do your thing, guys. I'm like super positive right now. Love it. <laughs> if you guys um have done any really cool events or any know of any really cool events um that are coming up, please reach out to me at Sugar Bee Podcast Miami on Instagram at milliliter23 on snapchat um like i said thank you guys for joining me see you next time what's good my boy mr 305 yes sir wade county 16 years later we done made history Blue rings on our fingers pockets getting fatter uh Maybe we get greater i'm the son of a saint still considered a sinner three rings on his finger yeah that boy this might be a single. Always bet on your homies. Then go bat a casino. Ball is my passion. Check the stats of the acid. Shorty checking my page. She followed my fashion. My life is a film. I just want to thank you guys for joining me today on Sugar Bee Podcast Miami. I can't wait to catch up with you guys next time. Thank you for joining me in celebrating Black History Month. And I just want you guys to remember. Black history is not just limited to one month. It's a whole lifetime. Bless up. <laughs> Hashtag bless up. See you guys next time. Shed a tear for all my homies, black boy in the gate. Let's find a masseuse, then it's bad.